Hello, human listeners and dog friends. Woof to the latter. A couple quick announcements before we get to today's episode. First of all, uh, we do have a waiting list for those who are interested in applying to the next round of our professional course aka our apprenticeship which is going to be fully virtual therefore open to anyone it's a six month long program we will be opening it up to applications uh, I think probably in about a month if you think you might be interested make sure you sign up so that we can notify you at schoolforthedogs.com slash apprenticeship 2022. Also, we are doing something special this month at School for the Dogs. We are running free virtual consults. These are open to anyone who hasn't worked with us before and are actually being run by some of our most recently graduated apprentices. If you're looking to learn more about our services, learn a little bit more about how training may help your dog, or maybe you're interested in becoming a trainer, you should totally sign up for one of these. You may do so at schoolforthedogs.com slash free consult. Again, we are only doing these through the end of February, and there are limited spots available. So go go get one of those spots. Now. Click and treat. <laughs> and now about today's episode. Today I am rebroadcasting one of my favorite interviews I think that I've ever done for School for the Dogs podcast, and I'm doing this as part of my new Betty White inspired best pet ever series. This is uh, a conversation I had with a really uh, wonderful and interesting client of ours named Joni about her wonderful and interesting dog Nelson. And uh, this episode originally aired in 2018, but Nelson and Joni are still going strong. And I was inspired to re-air this episode, both because uh, I am sure Joni would classify Nelson as the best pet ever, but also because of a conversation that happened in a Facebook group that I'm in uh, made up of dog owners in my area where I live in Manhattan. Um, we have uh, also a lot of clients who are in this Facebook group because it's right near where uh, the area it covers is right near where School for the Dogs is. A few weeks ago, someone in this group posted that uh, they had been bitten by a dog at the local dog park, and uh, the dog was mentioned by name and described and the person was saying uh, that they were trying to track down the dog's owner in order to get reimbursed the $900 that they had to spend uh, to cover the medical bills associated with what sounded like a pretty nasty bite. 
And a bunch of other people piped up saying that they knew this dog. A few people even said that they had been bitten by the dog. Some people said the dog had worn a muzzle at some point, but now was no longer wearing a muzzle. And uh, of course, there was plenty of outrage and empathy for the person who was attacked. But it also kind of devolved into something of, uh, I guess, a witch hunt in this in the comment section about how we were going to find this dog and how the dog should be put down. And I kind of stopped paying attention to the comments after a while until a client wrote to me upset, saying that they felt that the conversation was missing any empathy for the dog and the dog's owner, and that this dog was not necessarily a bad dog. So often with these kinds of situations, it's just not that simple. And they were upset by the suggestion that the only real way to deal with the problem would be to put the dog down. This client said they wanted to say something, but were worried that they would then become the victim of this angry online mobs rage. And uh, I said, okay, well, maybe I can say something as I'm not in this group as a professional, but I am a professional dog trainer in this area. So I just thought I would share what I wrote, uh, although I did follow up what I wrote saying that I agree that the dog who, the owner of the dog who bit this person should be responsible for medical bills and that uh, the victim probably should contact a dog bite lawyer. Uh, but this is what I wrote. I just wanted to pop in and express some compassion, both for those of you who've been bit or have had a dog who's been bitten, and also for this dog's owner. He may just be ill-equipped to deal with this issue, and while it might seem obvious that a dog who has bitten should be muzzled, many people's judgment about their own dogs, or dogs in general, isn't great. Ditto their knowledge about dog behavior. Any dog can be or can become a dog who bites. It may not be the owner's fault. In my opinion, it wouldn't be a bad idea if every dog were trained to wear a muzzle, just in case. But putting a muzzle on a dog is not necessarily an easy thing for someone to do without doing some training, and someone also might not understand how necessary it is, both the muzzle and the training. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and the owner of School for the Dogs on East 7th Street and would be happy to extend a complimentary initial behavior session to this dog's owner to help address the issues and put together both a training plan and management protocol to keep everyone safe here. If anyone knows this person and wants to mention this offer, please do have him email me directly at annie at schoolforthedogs.com. And uh, dear podcast listener, if you're listening and you know this person, you may <laughs> extend this invitation. And then I shared the podcast episode that you're about to listen to and suggested folks listen to it. Because if you can't understand how anyone could have empathy for a dog owner who has a dog who bites, I think that is about to change. Now, most people are not going to go to the extremes 
that Joni has gone to for her dog. But I think listening to her story makes me think about what lengths I would go to for my dog, a dog I love and a dog I have uh, committed to. When I decided I wanted to rebroadcast this episode, I asked Joni if it would be okay, and she said yes, and I asked if there was anything new I should report about Nelson and uh, her life with Nelson, and she said that during the pandemic, she has gotten really into writing little songs for Nelson. I begged her to share one with me, uh, and I was lucky enough that she said yes. So I am going to bring you into this episode with an original tune written for Nelson the Welsh Terrier, a.k.a. Nellie. I have something for my Nellie, something for my boy, something for his belly, it brings him so much joy. Yummies for my baby, I love you so, so much. This isn't dinner, breakfast, or lunch. It's a treat for you. Mama loves you. And now for something completely different. Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Good boy, Nelson. Oh, what a good boy. Good boy. Joni Comenzo and her dog Nelson, who is a Welsh terrier, is that right? Yes. And um, I wanted to speak to Joni about being Nelson's person because I think as a as a dog human pair, they've encountered some pretty uh, pretty formidable obstacles and have come out on the other side, um, uh, still loving each other. Um, but let's start from the beginning. So you got Nelson when he was a puppy. Yeah, 14 weeks. Okay. So what made you decide to get this breed in particular, and where did where did you get him? Um, well, I had a Yorkie that I had as a teenager, and then I went off to college, so it kind of became my mother's dog. And I knew I wanted something a little bigger, but I liked, you know, Yorkie was a good experience. It, you know, it was a terrier. I knew I wanted a terrier. Everyone told me the Jack Russell's too insane. Don't get a Jack Russell. So I was, I, I listened. Funny story that I ended up with Nelson. But, <laughs> um, and I, I'd seen a few Welsh terriers around. I always thought they looked interesting. 
Um, and then I just did some research and they just seemed like the perfect dog for me. You know, they said good with kids. I thought I was going to have children, you know, good with kids, um, good for city or, you know, country living. They adopt well to an apartment or, you know, like they just. I, I always feel like those breed books make such grand generalizations, yeah. right? And yet so you many know, people buy their dogs based on what it says. In yeah. The breed and just so much, you know, everything I read about them, I was like, I think this is going to be the dog for me. And then I researched, um rescues it was impossible to get it you know welshies are just so hard to come by there was no rescue with a dog for me and i was like you know i waited and i waited and i researched breeders and i found you know the top welsh terrier breeder and you know in the country and i was on a wait list there for a really long time and they went through this huge interview process you know they were interviewing me to make sure that I was proper for their dogs, you know. Which is something you want from a Yeah. I think you want them to be doing their due diligence, too. And I said, you know, I want a boy, and I'll wait. You know, he could be a little older. That's okay. I thought maybe he'd be a little more potty trained that way, you know. Because 14 weeks is a little old for a puppy. Um, usually they're like eight weeks, I think. Eight or 10, 12, yeah. Um, so one day I got the call, and they said, um, we have your boy. And do you know anything about the health or temperament of his parents? His father was multiple um, best of breed at Westminster. Wow. And his grandfather also. Mm -hmm. So they saw something <laughs> good in them. And his mother was also a show dog. Um, so you picked him up in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was a two hour meeting. They went before we saw the dogs. They had us and a couple other families were there. Um, they gave us this huge binder of information about the dogs and just, you know, tons of stuff. And, you know, I recorded the whole thing like a new parent, you know, <laughs> and, um, I had a boyfriend at the time that I lived with. So he was there with, with me and, you know, after this binder and questions and the introduction to the Welsh Terrier and everything, they finally took us out to the parking lot and they had the dogs like in a little pen. And there were two puppies, I think two weeks earlier than him in one pen and he was separated into a separate pen and I was like oh okay I guess you know he's older hmm. okay so he was in a separate pen and we got to meet our dogs and I remember as they handed him to me one lady handed him to me and said um your dog's an alpha and I said okay uh, you know I don't know what you're trying to tell me but okay and so we didn't, I didn't think anything of it, and I put him in his travel bag, and we got in the car, and we drove all the way back to New York. This is like 2 o'clock in the morning at this point that we got home. And this was eight years ago, is that right? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. he's eight. Mm -hmm. So everything seemed fine, and we, we took him home, and I slapped a doggy diaper on him and let him have free reign of the house just to see his house, <laughs> and then into his puppy crate, you know, and that was the end of the first night because it was like 2 in the morning when we got back. Um, the next morning we started potty training and I think I put the leash on him for the first time in his life. Mm -hmm. Everything seemed normal. Potty training was like, there was no training. He and just was got he, it. Did he seem like lovey and cuddly and happy to be held? And he seemed like a normal dog mm -hmm. teething. He was really teething. Mm -hmm. um, a little mouthy. Well, <laughs> mouthy. Yeah. And I remember I had friends come to meet him the first week. And they were like, this dog doesn't stop. Like he was like all over their shoelaces and their and their cuffs of their pants. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, he's teething, mm -hmm. but really teething, mm -hmm. you know. And then um, 
my mom met him and, and she was like, this, there's something wrong with this dog. He's not stopping, you know, like he just, I was like, he's teething. He's a, you know, he's a puppy. Mm-hmm. But it seemed a little bit. To everyone else, they're like, you know, he's yeah. not stopping. He wasn't hurting anyone, but like it wasn't, it was those little razor teeth. He had that some in- intensity that seemed apparent to others. It a little like. bit of intensity. And then even the first time I brought him to my mom's, he was like leaping off furniture and flying off the stairs and. She's like, there's something wrong with this dog. Like, but she was saying it like jokingly, but you know, he, he didn't stop. Okay. When was, so those were the first mm -hmm. clues, if you want to call it, that, you know, he's a handful. Right. Well, plus the woman's handing to you, handing him to you and saying, (laughs) yeah, what do you make of that to say that? I mean, I don't tend to adhere to the whole sort of dominance um, way of thinking about dogs. I think dominance can be very fluid. A dog might be, you know, in charge in one situation and not in another situation. But um, one thing like in our puppy playtimes, we often talk about is how it's important for puppies to take turns and that they generally naturally do. Sometimes you'll see a dog who seems like he has a preference for playing on the bottom or the top. But um, if if, it can't, if the puppy can't be redirected or pulled off from the top very easily, it's sort yeah. of a, a bit of a, um, uh, a, a concern. But yeah. I, I mean, I would say I, in, in my, you know, the eight or whatever years I've been doing this, I think I've only ever seen um, one, maybe two puppies that I've really been worried about, mm. where I've really felt like... Uh, this dog is over the top really and the rest of them tend to seem like you know they 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 can learn um but every now and then there's one where it seems like there's some sort of baked in let's call it intensity yeah that that um is is worrisome so when was when was your first moment of real concern well, I, Nelson. I took him to Bas- Biscuits and Bath. Okay. When I, you know, pretty soon and, after and I got Manhattan, him. Is yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, he started Puppy Kindergarten and Erica Wittenberg, man, she was, she was incredible with him and she didn't seem to have any concerns immediately. You know, he, Puppy Kindergarten, he was great. We did um, obedience, advanced obedience, agility. You know, we did all, we did whatever class they had for him. And he, you know, he did really well. And then as he got a little older, he was getting distracted and just wanted to play. He wasn't so interested in, um, you know, learn. You know, at that point, he was like, I get it. I know you want me to do this for treats, but I'd rather just wander around the room. And you saw that at at School for the Dogs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He just wanted to play. And so I would try to take him to the play groups and he would just go after dogs. Like it just, he couldn't last more than five minutes and she would have to pull, cause I was afraid of him. I was mm-hmm. getting like, Oh, this is mm-hmm. intense. And she would have to stick her hand in and pull him off. And I was like, I think we should just leave, you know, like, I don't think that Nelson's going to be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, all right, you know, we'll try to work with it. And, um, you know, we were always welcome to go back to the play group, but it never went well. So she started working with us one-on-one, you know, but little things would come up like, um, I remember at one point, if he heard me open a yogurt, he would come charging from the other room, just vicious, like crazy. It was his yogurt. Like, you know, like little things, like I couldn't do things in my own home that should be normal. Mm -hmm. 
And she would try to give me tips for it, but then he'd always find a new thing, like, you know, like it would have to keep being adjusted. Hmm. Like changing, changing seats in the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like then there was like issues where he didn't want to be in the crate. Like it's not that he didn't want to be in there. He didn't want my hands anywhere near the door mm-hmm. or the latch. So it became, you know, how do I get him in and out of the crate if I can't touch the crate? Well, what would he do to, to communicate, hey, I don't want your hands by the crate door? He would try to kill me through the crate, <laughs> you know, like lunge and growl and don't touch the lock on my crate. When he was in it and you were letting him out? Yeah, or as I put him in, when I went to close it, he didn't want me fumbling with the lock. Huh, Even okay. now, it's like a little bit of an issue. You know, it was just little things that started to just add up. It was like a lot. It wasn't just one issue. You get a trainer, they help you through it, and then you move on. Like, it was always something, something, Mm -hmm. something. Like, he was always stressed about something. He couldn't relax. And then, you know, there was the period when, like, he would do the little lip curl. Mm -hmm. And at first we thought it was cute. We didn't, you know, like, oh, he's, you know, doing a little... but. From some, at some point, there was no more warning. He would just go into attack. Like there was no more lip curl. There was no more growl. There was no sound. There was no warning. Um, and what did attack look like? How, how old are we talking at this point? Well, the first attack started around seven, eight months. He wasn't neutered yet. Mm-hmm. So we thought we were going to fix that by neutering him. And it really just got worse from there. So what was, tell me about the first, what you're calling attack. Um... My boyfriend at the time was sitting on the couch, I think playing a video game, and Nelson was sitting in his lap. And I think I walked into the room, Mm -hmm. and Nelson, instead of attacking me, spun around and bit him in the face, like on the nose. Oh, wow. And split his nostril. Wow. So it wasn't a big cut, but the amount of blood that came out of it Mm -hmm. made it scary, because, you know, the nose, I guess a lot of blood comes out of the face. (laughs) You know, so we were both kind of horrified and he went to the ER to see if he needed a stitch. Um, so I, w- I would say, you know, like displacement, aggression over over some perceived threat. That, I mean, obviously you entering the room wasn't an actual threat. But no, but interesting it, that he went after your boyfriend rather than going after you. Yeah. It was like whatever was closest. And this is something he still does. Like mm. he'll, you know, if he sees a dog he doesn't like on the leash, he'll spin around and run up my leg. I know he's not going to bite me at this point, Mm -hmm. but he he gives me the warning. Like he runs up my leg like. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, So that must have been terrifying. Yeah. You had to end up at the ER because you entered the room while you're. (laughs) Well, I had to stay home in Nelson. So gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was afraid, you know, and this is when he still got to roam the apartment free. Mm -hmm. So, um, then we started... Did you feel guilty? Did you feel like somehow this was your fault? I'm asking because I think um, that is a common reaction. Well, only because he didn't initially want the dog, and I did. Okay. Like he wasn't, his dog had just died, so he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. But I wanted the dog. So what was, what was your next uh-oh moment, let's call it? Um, <laughs> well, then things like that kept continuing. Like the, the lunging out of nowhere, like you walk into the room, he'd leap off the couch and come after you. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't always make contact or sometimes it was just a little mouthy, but no biting, Mm -hmm. but the times he would bite you, he wouldn't let go. Like it was like, you know, he was trying to really do some damage, Nelson. So what was your, as far as dealing with these behaviors, these problems, 
was your first reaction to call the breeder? Did you find a trainer? This was before we met. But but tell me what you did. Um, well, Erica was still trying to work with us. And what kind of advice was she giving you? You know, she would, at that point, um, she was still working on firm no, like being really firm. Um, but, I mean, the, the attacks were becoming so, I don't want to say frequent, but uh, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, we looked into, like, well, what are the other training up like what, what else is going on around here that we could find someone and someone recommended another trainer that um they'd seen in the neighborhood and a few people had used and really liked the results they got and, and so i met him and um he was friendly he seemed knowledgeable he seemed determined mm -hmm. um and what, what was his technique um he favored caesar milan's techniques mm -hmm. and um we were at the point that we were so desperate because people were telling me I had to get rid of Nelson mm -hmm. that I was like, well, let me try. You know, we tried positive approach um, with Erica, who mm -hmm. I, I, I love to this day. I think she's amazing. Um, but something wasn't clicking for Nelson. So mm -hmm. I said, all right, let's try some other approach. And my boyfriend at the time, like he believed in the Caesar Milan method. That's we're very different people, so we had very different, which I think kind of maybe added to the confusion for Nelson that we were so opposite in our training methods. Mm -hmm. um, so we tried this guy, this new guy, and we had to sign this release and this paper, and Nelson was going to live with him for one week, and we couldn't see Nelson at all during that week. Mm -hmm. It was going to be intense, intense training. And he had his own dog, and I didn't know, but he had another dog there, too, that he was training at the same time, which I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And that was like a huge, I don't know what breed it was, but it was a huge, huge dog. And his dog was a pretty medium to large dog. Knowing now, I wouldn't have put Nelson in a situation with large dogs like that because mm -hmm. I know he's afraid. After one, he, he had said, after one week, if things aren't clicking, I'll give you the second week for free. Mm -hmm. And he'll stay with me an additional week. And I got the call after one week that he needs the second week. Okay. And that should have been a, a clue there that he couldn't do what he promised to deliver. Now, did he give you any indication of what he was going to be doing during this magic period of time? He said he was going to fix it. <laughs> okay. <I> mean, <laughs> That's it, what I remember. I know right. he recorded everything, and he has hours and hours of footage. I've only seen clips of what... Good boy, Nelson. Good boy. Clips of what he showed me and then edited down. Mm -hmm. before and after video which wasn't too impressive oh it's overly impressive it's like ready edited for television oh. like <laughs> i he was this and i turned him into this i see i see and he did when he came home he did turn him into that for about a week and a half mm -hmm. and then he reverted and then got even worse well that's a problem i i often point out with you know, what's called board and trains where you send a dog away yeah. is first of all you don't know what's happening and unless you feel very confident I, that I know now what was happening well what do you think what was happening he was choking him out mm. mm -hmm. and wanted us to do that and so I did he show you the techniques he was using it was um what is it called it's not a choke collar was a slip lead mm -hmm. like the ones that Caesar Milan uses and you tighten it this is the extreme this is after he isn't getting the initial warnings when with the poke that that noise that caesar makes 
and then, then it progresses. Then you like tighten the, the leash a little bit to let him know or a double tug or to eventually you're kind of hanging him by the neck. Great. <laughs> um, Was there shock collars involved as well? Not in front of me. I don't know. So how did you feel about that? When I saw that, I was horrified. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know. I said, well, I, I guess this is what has to be done. I don't, I don't know. This is how you train a dog. Right? Yeah. I didn't know. And I said, well, that's what, you know, Caesar's. If he says he studied Caesar. And at this point, he hadn't worked with Caesar. But eventually, he did go train with him. Mm -hmm. So... I guess maybe he was self-taught in the beginning, mm -hmm. this particular trainer. I mean, I'd say generally speaking, my approach is that there's nothing I think I can do with a dog that a client can't do with a dog. I yeah. want to be able to convey exactly what I'm doing, and I also want the client to feel comfortable with it yeah. and to understand why it's working. So It worked for my boyfriend. He was able to do those techniques pretty well. But what's the fallout? It's like, what's the fallout I couldn't of do a dog it. who... So the dog wanted was more coming after me. Well, and also then I'm sure it, it, it contributed to you feeling like you were part of the problem in that, like, you know, this could work for him, but not for you. And well, and also you know, so much of Caesar Milan stuff is like, you need to, you need to have your stuff together. Yeah. You know, you need to be a... He trains the owners. A calm, focused yeah. person, clear, collected, da da yeah. da da and then your dog will get it where I think, you know, I've seen four-year-olds train dogs and people who have uh, really messed up lives be good dog yeah. trainers. So I don't, like, I don't think you actually have to have all your, all your shit together. But anyway, um, so you worked with this guy. You sent Nelson away. He came back like a zombie. Wow. The look in his eye. There was no look in his eyes. Wow. And he was basically a zombie. And I was like, well, where's my dog? You know, oh, he gosh. had no personality when he came back. Mm -hmm. And I did witness some of the training in front of me. Mm -hmm. And he basically, yeah, he, he hung him up and then he had him pinned down on the ground mm -hmm. and things that I knew I was never going to do. Mm. I couldn't do those things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And then I had one vet who told me this is the same vet that wanted to take out 14 of his teeth and call it dental disarming. Wow. So we never went back to that vet, but he also told me, you know, I was wearing boots. He goes, take that strong boot and kick him across the room. <clears throat> and he would tell me to hit him with the newspaper, which I did once. I rolled up the thing and was hitting him in the nose and hitting him. And Nelson let out this sound like, oh, like a cry like I've never heard. And he was looking me in the face and crying. And then I started crying. And I know, oh, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> I never did that again. But oh. I was like, the vet said, the vet said to do that. You know, I didn't know. Oh, Joni, you're breaking my heart. I yeah. know. I tried whatever these experts were telling me. I tried every single thing, yeah. you know, and then um, I think I, I think there are, you know, a lot of people out there who do things to dogs because we're told to do things to dogs and it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily make sense in the larger picture. But because someone's an expert, I mean, this is the vet telling me if he attacks you, hit him with the paper. And it's just paper. It's not even like it's like a bat, you know, yeah. but still, I think it, he was just like, mama, stop, you know? Yeah. And I only yeah. got him a couple times, but it was enough for him to cry. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, had he bitten you yet? Oh, plenty of times. Yeah. Breaking skin. <laughs> he got me so good once that the blood, he got me in like the vein mm. 
in my wrist. The blood was squirting and hitting the ceiling, like pulsing and hitting the ceiling. And my thoughts were like, you know, you watch movies or you, you, you hear people kill themselves, they cut their wrists. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I have minutes to live. I didn't know, I, you know, my head, I was like so scared. Like I see this blood hitting the ceiling, squirting. I said, this is how I'm gonna die. Like he got, he got me in the wrist. This is how people die. <laughs> But, you know, the blood stopped after a few minutes. What, what triggered that incident? I remember? went to pet him. Oh. I went to pet him. So, <laughs> and he chased me into the bathroom and I fell into the bathtub. I remember I was like, oh my God, this, and then I looked at my wrist and the blood, it was like, like out of a movie, like the whole thing. And then he was shook it off and he was fine. You know, like when he does these attacks, he shakes it off and he's fine. Like he'll kiss you the next minute. Mm-hmm. It's like he blacks out. Did you ever call the, the breeder? And, and I did. Um, and they said they'd never heard of anything like this before happening with their dogs. And they'd never seen any indication of anything like this before nah. they nope. gave him to you? Nope. See, it's suspicious to me that they never, never told you never. that he was an alpha and then... Uh, yeah, it's like, and well, that he was what, separated what from mean? those other dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, his pen was separate from those other puppies mm-hmm. when I got him. Yeah. They so, did say, I don't know if it was his dad or his grandfather, but one of them bit the judge in the ring at the dog show hmm. and was disqualified for life or something. That's a rumor I heard. I don't mm-hmm. know. Which might, but, might have been warranted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, any yeah. dog, you know, any dog can bite. That's People, anything with teeth can anything, bite. Anything with teeth can bite. People say, oh, my dog would never harm anyone. I would never do anything impossible, impossible. Yeah. And I think... Uh, absolutely not true you could have the world's sweetest kindest dog and if provoked i'm afraid i mean i love dogs and i pet almost every dog i see now but i am afraid of all dogs now because of my own wow so after after um the the trainer who tried to uh hang him and after uh the vet who suggested hitting him with a newspaper yeah what was your next step Uh, i found another vet all the way uptown she called him a lemon she mm-hmm. said, you got a lemon. And then she said, you know, he's going to ruin my relationship. I mean, how old was he at this point? Uh, one, two. Maybe. Wow. This was all in the first two, yeah. two years. Huh? Um, she's like, you're going to let this dog ruin your relationship. You know, this dog, like get rid of him, basically. And the vet had said, basically, like, don't you value yourself that you're keeping this dog when he's ruining your, you know, your existence? And I thought about it. I was like, well, he's the vet saying this. Is he right? Like, do I not value? But I'm thinking I value the dog. Like, And you loved him at that point, This right? is my child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this is what I got. You know, I'm 44. I think this is what I got. You know, what this, did you love about him? I mean, clearly he's lovable, but <laughs> I, <you laughs> to, know, someone, to someone who doesn't know this guy. This is my dog. This is my this is my child. <laughs> I think it'd be different if I had actual human ch- children. Then, of course, the safety, their safety would come first. It would mm-hmm. be a totally different situation. But if I took on the responsibility of getting this dog, it's my responsibility to take care of him. Did you feel like it did ruin your relationship? I think that ruined itself. But <laughs> um, we don't blame you. I mean, now. it definitely <laughs> it definitely was very, very stressful with the mm-hmm. dog because we never knew, like, if he was going to attack and then. He would always have to jump in and save me if the dog was attacking me. And like, I couldn't do much if he was attacking him. You know, I wasn't going to. And what was, you know. what was your friends and family reaction to, to him? Um, 
Well, they knew that when they came over, certain things like had to take place. Like Nelson, then we started having Nelson on a leash all the time. He didn't wear the muzzle yet, um, but always on leash. And they, always on leash in the house. Yeah, they knew, you know, certain things. Like you can't just walk in and think he's going to be a regular dog and try to wrestle him or do whatever people do with dogs, you know. Mm -hmm. Did he bite other people besides you and your boyfriend? <laughs> he bites the people closest to him because mm -hmm. they have access to him. Mm -hmm. He bit my mom on Christmas one year because my uncle walked in front of the appetizers between his eye line and the appetizers. So, or no, my mom walked between, between somewhere between the two things that were going on. So he got her in the stomach. Um, well, he breaks skin, breaks skin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's gotten my hands mangled before, like mangled. Did, and, you, did your mom say, this is crazy. Why are you doing this, Joni? She keeps saying there's something wrong with this dog. <laughs> um, I think she knows at this point that, like, I think of him as my child. Yeah. So what was the advice after the vet who told you you got a lemon and you, you I don't I found another life? vet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eventually I ended up at Heart of Chelsea, which I'm really happy with, because I was looking for a vet that did also Eastern medicine. Because someone recommended, you know, look, you know, try holistic. <laughs> you know, try the... Yeah. Everybody wants to help. So they're like, try this, try that, try whatever. Um, but before I found that vet, I joined some Facebook groups about Welsh Terriers. And I found this lady in Canada and her dog was doing the exact same thing as Nelson. Like mm. it sounded like Nelson. So I contacted her and she said it's the thyroid. And she told me to get his blood work done by Dr. Dodds, who's in California. So... When I found Heart of Chelsea, he was willing to take the blood and send it there. And I didn't think any vet was really going to listen to me. Like, they never said he had a thyroid problem before. Mm -hmm. You know, no vet had ever said that. But Dr. Dodds is like the leading thyroid specialist for dogs. Um, and she breaks it down by breed, sex, age, and weight. Like, there's like a crazy chart that she uses and she said he definitely had the thyroid problem exactly like that other welsh terrier in canada wow. um so she put him on a um thyroid supplement and did that help hasn't gotten worse hmm. <laughs> it's helped i mean i think a bunch of things have helped just because i'm used to him now and we're, we're used to each other and eventually you found dr christensen right at some point, we went to Dr. Christensen, and she put him on Prozac. So Dr. Christensen, for listeners who aren't aware, uh, Dr. Elise Christensen is a, a veterinary behaviorist. And there's only something like 60 veterinary behaviorists in the country. Yeah. They're basically like vets with a specialty in behavior in the same way like a psychopharmacologist is a psychiatrist mm -hmm. with a specialty in medication. And um, really, in a way, I think it's like, one of the most awesome um, areas of veterinary medicine because you're dealing a lot of the time with the way a dog feels and thinks, in it, but with an animal yeah. you can't talk, yeah. talk to. <laughs> also, you know, a lot of the time behavioral issues, and I'm not saying this is the case with Nelson, I doubt it is, but it has to do with pain. You know, yeah. a lot of the time an animal is in serious pain yeah. and, um, and uh, it affects their behavior but because we can't talk to them about, you know, where does it hurt? Well, we recently discovered he had an ongoing ear infection. Oh. Um, and I was sent to one of the major hospitals 
mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And they wanted to, their recommendation basically was to take out his entire ear canal. Oh my God. So I got a second opinion at the other leading hospital and they put him on a round of crazy antibiotics for like a month and a half. And when we went back to the checkup, it had all cleared up. Wow. But so if you listen if to comes, a certain vet, you do have a, teeth, a toothless, earless dog. Deaf dog, yeah. You ended up going to Dr. Christensen. Yeah, I think we never really finished our sessions. I think I might have credit there still. <laughs> um, but she put him on Prozac. Was that the first time anyone suggested not putting him on medication? I think he was on, I hope I'm getting it right. I think it was Elaville. Is that another one? I think he was on something else first for anxiety. Mm-hmm. And nothing was clicking. So they, I don't know if she's the first one to suggest Prozac. I think she's the one who suggested Prozac. And did it make any difference? hasn't gotten worse <laughs> <laughs> i you know i don't know what is, is he the, still on the prozac yeah because it hasn't gotten worse so why change it does, okay how many milligrams does he take 40 is that Just, a lot i've heard from people who take it that that's an extreme a lot were you uh resistant to putting him on medication i wanted to try everything right so yeah <laughs> uh at this point um well in the chronology we're at you got to the point where he was on leash all the time at home. Yeah, all at, the time. At some point... So if I went to the bathroom, he went to the bathroom. If I went to the kitchen, he went to the kitchen. And uh, at some point, I, I I, know you started putting a muzzle on him. Was that right away, like he has to wear a muzzle all the time? That has only been about a year, maybe not even two years, I think, that he's been wearing a muzzle. Um, at the time, my boyfriend was really against it because he said Nelson won't be able to defend himself if he gets in a fight and he is an instigator. So he Hmm. was afraid that he wouldn't be able to defend himself. Right, but a dog with a muzzle is much less likely to start a fight, is my opinion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell that to Nelson. (laughs) Now, with the muzzle, did you right away decide he needs to wear this muzzle all the time? Does he wear them? He does wear them all the time. Oh, yeah, he has to wear it. Um, Not in his crate. He still sleeps in a crate. He loves his crate. He slept in our bed for a little while as a puppy, but then if I got up to go to the bathroom, I couldn't get back in the bed. So that ended. It was just mm-hmm. always crate. But he loves it. Once he's in that crate, he loves it. He loves to go into the crate now. Now it's not a problem. Is he in the crate most of the time when you're home? Yeah. He shakes. We, just, we tried to do couch time about a year and a half ago, and it went well the first time. And then the second time, I just looked at him wrong, and he got nervous and came after me. So he prefers to be in his crate, and he he likes the cover down. He doesn't want me looking at him. Hmm. Our new thing that we've been working on is Mama sits next to the crate, and we do that a little bit each night, and sometimes he plays through the crate. Like I have a tug toy that we do sometimes, and sometimes he said, please get away from me, you know? like. What was was the process of uh, having him wear a muzzle like? Did you have to uh, do some training towards that? No, he just put it right on. Really? He's never had a problem. He wore it a few times as a puppy. Mm-hmm. He's never had an issue with the muzzle. He just, he was like, okay. <laughs> even now he puts his face out. Like he just. It's just how life is. Just like him. potty this training. Is... He just knew what to do. Like I didn't have to. He just did it. So what, yeah. <laughs> so having a dog who does wear a muzzle then, you know, basically 100% of the time. Yeah. Except when he's in his crate. Yeah. What kind of reaction do you get from from people having a dog in a muzzle? Either they think it's cute and they go, oh, look at him. Or little kids think he's a horse. They say like a horse. Like, I guess it looks like reins to them. Hmm. Um, Or there's the people who say, why is he wearing that? He doesn't need that. 
Or, oh, he hates that. Take it off. You know, he hates wearing that. Or he doesn't bite. He doesn't <laughs> bite, does he? And I'm like, yes, he does. They're like, well, he doesn't bite you. And I said, yes, he does. <laughs> you know? Wow. And people are like, oh, does, does he wear that because he, he eats off the ground? I said, well, sometimes he does. But this muzzle's designed for eating and drinking. So, no, he wears it because he bites. That's what I, and I, when I say it like that, they just look at me like, like your dog bites, like it's unheard of or something. Right. Do you feel like people blame you for, for his issues? Well, they try to tell me he looks so sweet and cute. Like he doesn't really bite. And they, they probably think I'm talking about like a warning nip or something. And mm -hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. It's a full blown attack. Right. Right. Did you have vets then saying, you know, you should be putting this dog down? Um, I think by saying get rid of him, I think that's what they meant. Well, true, because it's <laughs> like, where do you send a dog who has this kind of bite history? There's, I think if, if people he had, have this idea that there's some farm somewhere that takes all the bad yeah. dogs. Or bad, send him back to the breeder. What's, in the world. Yeah. what's the breeder going to do with him if they take him back, right. you know? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't send him to a rescue because someone else would have put him down. Yeah. You know? And I couldn't live with myself if I did that. I, like, like I said, if I had had children, human children my own actual children, it would be a totally different story because they would be the priority. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. At this point, it's just me and Nelson. So I, I know you've heard me say this before, but I, people who say it's always the owner's fault that all dog problems are because of the owner, that it's, I feel like that's a real um, uh, maxim that people like to repeat that um, people, you know, it's always the owner's always the problem. It's never the dog's problem. Yeah. And I think, gosh, that's so not true because like the dogs that we see who have really serious issues yeah. at school for the dogs always have amazing owners because if they didn't have amazing owners who were devoted to trying to solve yeah. this problem, they wouldn't be they wouldn't coming, exist. No, <laughs> they wouldn't be keeping these dogs. Yeah. Um, like when I see people and they're like, my dog barks all the time. And I'm like, I wish that was my problem. Mm. You know, he never barks. He only barks if he knows like food. Like if he hears the doorbell, he goes, mm. ruff, ruff, like a low. And that's mama, go get the food. You know, like, <laughs> like that's the only time he barks. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't give me any other trouble. Mm -hmm. And he's incredibly well trained. You do a lot. We've done tricks classes together yeah. with him. I wanted him to be an actor. He took the acting class. Yeah, he, took he, our acting he wanted class. to play. Like he, he's not. Yeah, but I but I think it's cool that you do that kind of stuff to help give his mind a workout when he, you know, has so many yeah. other limitations. But you've taught him to to jump over your leg, and he can ride a skateboard. He can right? wink. He can wink. Oh yeah. my goodness! And you taught that with a clicker, right? Um. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, since his ear infection, he's kind of having a little trouble. Like it's kind of more of like a double blink. But <laughs> what's the cue for wink? Wink at mama. <laughs> I'll go like this, Nelson, wink at mama. I notice he does that. If we're in a crowded elevator, he looks at me and starts winking. Like that's like a little cue to me. Huh. Wow, that's really that's interesting. Something we do, or if we're waiting in line at Walgreens for a prescription, we wink at each other. Like he just starts winking at me. I love that. Me too. Well, you really, I mean, it just goes back to dog training. I think about being about like two-way communication. Yeah. I say that all the time to people. Like it's not, people say, oh, you're training me. I'm like, well, Kind of, but it's really yeah. like I'm training both of you to communicate better with one another because, like, that's what you know yeah. a relationship is about. Um, and yeah. you're really tuned into his his body language, right? Talk to me about like his, uh, I guess we'll, we can call them um, 
displacement behaviors or stress well, stress relief behaviors we're basically together 24 hours a day um <laughs> maybe that's why he's so sick of me but <laughs> um no he so, loves you like crazy like wait i talk to him all day long mm-hmm. um i sing to him all day long <laughs> <laughs> he has little songs for just for nelson <laughs> but um like everything we do he knows like certain words, like if I say, let's go on an adventure, he knows we're leaving Stytown. <laughs> and it probably means we're going to see the C-A-T-S at Petco. Oh, he likes to go see oh, them? Oh, the wall of cats. I got to whisper it. That's see. his favorite Nelson, thing. The cat? Nelson, the cat? Nelson, you want to go see some cats? He's so relaxed right now. All right, let's let him I'm be. Like, <laughs> so, oh, he said, are they here? <laughs> are there cats here? They're not here. Yeah, They're not here. You can lay down. <laughs> Lay down, baby. What is, um, um, but so t- tell me about like the stretching. Things. So like if we're going to, if he knows the route to get to Petco and I take a different street, he'll go into this deep, deep stretch and he crosses his front paws mm. and lets out like the squeaky yawn. And then it's like, okay, okay, we're going to go this way. I see what she's doing. But like he has his certain routines. Like there's certain things like when we come home, he's on the leash with the muzzle. We come in the door, he knows he goes right to his water bowl and we've gotten to the point where I could put my hands on him and take the muzzle off while he's drinking the water and that's huge. I know it doesn't sound like anything, but for us that's a huge thing that he knows that I'm just taking the muzzle off so he could drink. Mm -hmm. And before I, usually before I touch him, I say mama to him so he knows it's me. Mm -hmm. Like I I never just reach for him. Mm -hmm. I know know people don't relate to that, but I can't just reach for him and touch him. Mm-hmm. I always announce that I'm about to do it. That's really smart. That's or something like, I, I talk to puppy owners about or dogs who have, uh, uh, people who have small dogs especially. Yeah. Tell your dog you're going to pick your dog up. It's, an, it's, an, it's <laughs> nice to give them that warning. You know? Those words have actually become the threat when he's not behaving, which I, I know is bad. What? I'm going to pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> but when I actually do pick him up, I don't use those words. I just grab him. <laughs> I wonder, you know, he's probably in some way made the association between uh, the water and the muzzle. I wonder almost if you could use the delivery of the water to to uh, teach him that about you taking the muzzle off. Like if you started to take off the muzzle first and then gave him the water. Sometimes I do, but he's in such a rush that he rushes into the kitchen. He's still on the leash. Mm-hmm. Um well, that if you want, if you wanted to try and train a, a behavior of, yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant to suggest it because it sounds like everything you're doing is working well enough. And it's working, like, but he hasn't mess gotten it up. me. Yeah, yeah, don't mess but, that up. But if you felt like, if you felt like experimenting, I yeah. would experiment with starting to take the muzzle off, picking the water bowl, bowl up before you go out. Oh, okay. Uh, and then um, starting to take the muzzle off and offer him the water bowl as soon as you do that. I think it was separating those two things. Yeah. Because then you could also start adding a cue to taking the muzzle off, the cue being, you know, like, I'm going to take your muzzle off. (laughs) Yeah, I just say mama to him and he knows. Or like when he had his ear infection to put the drops in, which amazingly he let me do. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Like certain things he lets me do. I just say mama fix. When I say mama fix, he knows I'm going to adjust something. Hmm. Interesting. So mama fix ear. I tried, I talked to him. I used to be a preschool teacher. So I talked to him as if like very simple sentences sometimes. Well, I, and I he think knows. that's smart. And by, you know, basically you're just adding cues to things that you're doing anyway, which is the process yeah. really of teaching any kind of language. But 
keeping it simple is key and keeping it consistent is yeah. key. And I think you have really good instincts in those directions. Thank you. <laughs> um, what kind of muzzle are you using and what other ones have you tried? Um, we basically only use the Baskerville and then they introduced the Baskerville Ultra, which... Um, What's the difference between those two? The original Baskerville had a blunt um, front part to it. Mm -hmm. um, and the Ultra, they changed it a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the difference was. And now um, Coastal makes the same exact model, but it's like a more pliable muzzle. And the um, the Baskerville Ultra is like really hard. And in is both. he able to uh, eat through it? He eat, Yeah, these are designed for eating and drinking and panting. And the, um, the Coastal one, since it's pliable, he could pick up a tennis ball with it on. Mm. So you use that one sometimes too? Yeah, I think if I really had to worry about him biting someone, I'd put the hard one on. Mm -hmm. But when he's just me and him and he's playing outside, I put the softer one on him. Mm -hmm. But they both do, they're exactly the same. It's just, they're different materials. So having come through this journey, <laughs> yeah, let's call it. Oh, uh, but, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So when he's done with the water, I take him with his leash right to his cage. And he knows that there's no deviation. Like he knows that I lead him right to the cage, unhook his, his snoot loop, his head halter, and he goes right in. But if I hesitate or change any single thing in that routine, I could risk getting bit. Well, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, really, it's the same with people who are high anxiety, let's call it. He's super high anxiety. You know, yeah. needing um, routine, needing regularity. It's like autism, almost. Someone said once that it's almost like he's oh, like yeah, he autistic. Well, what's interesting in that um, behavioral science uh, sort of has three places where it's really been... Um, embraced more than other places although i think behavior science applies to everything in my opinion but yeah. um animal training one area um uh work management safety management is another area and then the the probably the biggest area is applied aba applied behavior analysis with kids specifically yeah. autistic kids kids with issues and it's really just about breaking things down to their smallest components, being very clear with giving information when something is done correctly, yeah. managing situations so uh, carefully so that your child you're working with doesn't have a chance to do the wrong things. Yeah. I always try to set him up for success. Like right. whatever it is, like if I know it's going to be a problem, I just avoid it. Mm -hmm. You know, and like right. Management there's no is a reason to even just see what happens you know like if i see a big dog coming we'll probably cross the street unless we know the dog or if he seems like if he seems like he wants to approach it i wait to see if he pulls me towards it without mm -hmm. a crazy growl or anything mm -hmm. but like whatever the situation like if we came in here and there were loose toys i would know let's take them off the floor because mm -hmm. it's setting him up for a disaster right you know like i always try to just avoid any triggers for him as much as I can. And maybe I should let him experience that. I don't know. I just feel like at this point, no, it's I better just to avoid. I think you're doing absolutely the right thing. And I, I think, think <laughs> it's, you know, on the one hand, it like makes so much sense that it seems like duh obvious. On the other hand, you know, I think there are a lot of people who would say, uh, no, he needs to learn that there yeah, should exactly. be toys on the ground and da, 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 da. Or like, why should I have to change? Like if I go to my mom's, <laughs> And she has like Christmas decorations out at Christmas time. Like she really decorates. I always say like, can you please take them off the floor? Like the only thing that looks like a stuffed animal, just please take them off the floor because, you know, he's going to go crazy. He's going to want it. He's going to think it's a toy and mm -hmm. we won't be able to take it away from him. Like it's going to be a disaster. 
And she's like, she doesn't, she's like, but why? It's my house. And then, and then like, she, she does it, you know, right. like she gets it. But like other people would be like, why? Like, why right. do I have to change my, my life right. for him? I'm like, I'm not asking anything unreasonable, you know? <laughs> I, it's no, like, I, if, I if you it, see but... a knife and you have a toddler, you're not going to leave the knife on the table. Right. I think it's, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we do, um, that we think of as like obvious with small children, but with dogs, we don't, yeah. um, we, we expect more of them somehow when the fact is, you know, they, they have teeth that could kill us and to- exactly. toddlers don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, I did a whole series on the podcast. I call it the, the dog training triad with one episode on, on management, one on, um, rewards and one on timing. And to me, that's really like the, the crux of, of pretty much any kind of training you're doing needs yeah. to first address how you're going to create a very well-managed situation where you're, you're upping the chances of your dog succeeding and not letting your dog have yeah. a lot of opportunities to do the wrong thing because people think of positive reinforcement as something that like we do to the animal. But you know, yeah. every time he he's bitten anyone, it's been positively reinforced, right? Because like if, you know, biting feels good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> You know, and it, or or negatively reinforced in that you know negative reinforcement is that something is taken away in order to yeah. encourage a behavior. And if you bite someone, they go away. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. So rather than you know risking that behaviors you don't want to be reinforced are going to be reinforced, it, yeah. I think the smarter route, especially when you're dealing with a really potentially dangerous animal, is to uh, be very thoughtful about management. Which sounds like you've you've figured out possibly the hard way, but but that you're also doing very naturally. You know, people say like, you know, does he still have to wear the muzzle? Is he always going to have to wear it? I said, yes. Like, why would I take it off and set him up for a situation where he's going to fail? Mm-hmm. You know, eventually he's going to bite. I know he will, mm-hmm. you know, and he just, he's not going to be fixed. He'll be maintained the rest of his life, but he's not going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's going to fix it. Knowing what you know now about, about, um, life with Nelson and I guess dog training <laughs> in general, if you could go back and talk to yourself when, for instance, you were sending him away to the oh. person who was choking him or to the vet who suggested hitting him. And what would you, uh, what advice would you give yourself as far as training goes? God, I guess um, I should have listened to my instinct when I thought well I did because I never went back to that vet but like when it doesn't sound right like when I first saw the methods of him putting his hands all over Nelson like with like all that poking and the I knew that that wasn't it just didn't sound right Mm -hmm. you know I just think maybe I should have just trusted that you know I had a Yorkie we never did it we never had training we didn't know anything about dogs and he was fine. You know, I could do whatever I wanted to him. And like, I never had to think about like being dominant or being in charge all the time. Or like, you know, you have to show that you're the boss. I never even thought about anything like that was our baby. Like his name was Teddy. We all carried him around like a baby. We treated him, you know, and he never bit us. So I don't, I didn't think that the advice I was getting from these other people about being dominant and, you know, I don't think that's why he was biting mm-hmm. because I, I mean, I'm only comparing it to my Yorkie, but I never had to do any of that to make him not bite me. He you just, know, you know, like you could baby your dog and he's not going to bite you. Well, you could baby this dog though. And he might bite you. 
but yeah. no, but I'm saying, <laughs> but like, you could also hit him with a newspaper and he might bite you. Exactly. Right? <laughs> like people baby their dogs all over the place and they don't get bit. Right. So it wasn't about me being indulgent or exactly. Um, you know, Dr. Dr. Spock's whole thing with psychologist. Yeah. You know, who wrote about raising children, whatever yeah. his, his big thing was like, you know, more than you think you do. Oh, he and did. I oh, think no, no. I believe the same thing so much with dog training where it's like, Something should make sense. Something should innately make sense because we know, I mean, if only because, I mean, same thing with children. Like we know more than we think we do because we, yeah. we were that baby. Yeah. You know? We yeah. know more than we think we do as, as animal trainers, all of us, because we are animals and we, yeah. we work at training each other all the yeah, time, yeah. you know, in subtle ways. And, and if, uh, yeah, if it doesn't make sense, I think it's always a, um, it should be a red flag, but like, like we were saying, like you were saying before, it's like when you're so desperate for a solution. Um, yeah. I, I always say like, I feel like sometimes I could go into a situation with a client and be like, okay, the thing you need to do to solve this problem is jump up and down three times on one foot and yell the word raspberry. Yeah. <laughs> and like they would do it because it's like the expert is telling me this and she knows better than I do. Exactly. But like, that's not the dog trainer I want to be. <laughs> I want to be the dog trainer yeah. who comes in and, and, you know, says things in a way that makes sense i mean also presenting effective solutions what do you, you know th when people say why is he like this what do you say that's just how he is i mean there's no nobody knows you know it's funny because like i know he's not relaxed even though he i think he looks perfectly relaxed to a normal person coming in here but you're they, so tuned into him he's so on edge that he's behaving great we go to the vet or the groomer he's so good He's never given a problem at the vet or the groomer because he's so scared. Hmm. He does whatever they say. He's like the perfect, perfect dog. He never, you know, he might squirm a little on the vet table, but even in, and we took a cab here. That's the only time he loves me is that I could pick him up in the cab and he just melts in my arms because he's so scared of the car. Hmm. Hmm. You know? Your mom takes good care of you, Nelson. It's because he's scared. Like right now, he doesn't know where he is. He's not sure why we're here. Right. And he looks perfectly happy, relaxed, and calm, but I know he's not. <laughs> it's so, so interesting in that, it, um, again, it's like he needs his routine. You know? He needs his routine, and even when it's time for me to grab that leash, I'm going to be a little scared because I know reaching for it could be a problem. Um, so I'm going to wait till like he's walking a little and the leash is dragging, and I'm going to distract him a little bit, and it's going to be like a quick, Grab the leash. I know, like I know all these things, but it took me eight years to figure it out. Like if I'm going to pet him, first of all, he only likes to be petted on this wall that comes up to my hip that's in Stytown. He jumps on the wall and I know he wants me to pet him. And that's pretty much the only place he really lets me. Or like if we're crossing the street at the crosswalk, he'll let me rub his ears. But I can't just like pet him. And I know I, know, I also know that you bring him to the dog park, but you guys play outside of the dog park. Right? Yeah, dog park means we stand outside the fence and watch the dogs like it's television, and he loves it. But he can't handle playing like that. That's really cool that you've figured out these ways to like give him a good life. Oh, he life. loves dog park. Dog park? Give him a good life, even even within the confines of... Uh... And school? He knows. <gasps> school! That's your favorite word. <gasps> His head just school? whipped around. We've been going to um, Boris and Horton. Oh, really? But we go only five or ten minutes before close. Oh, uh, okay. And he, I call that school, too. He doesn't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's like dog park. We only go, like, either to stand outside it or we go when nobody's there. So I don't, you know, so, I, 
I was saying, why do you think uh, he's like this? I think a lot of people would say say something like, you know, it must be because he was abused as a puppy or something. But I, I, my, well, I think it's more likely that, uh, you know, in a way you did get a lemon in that you got a dog who just has a unique, unusual um, brain chemistry that just like, you know, some people can be raised in the perfect household and have no stresses. And what were you going to say? Well, well, years ago, a neighbor told me to watch a movie called um, There's Something About Kevin. I think that's the name of it. And basically, it's this boy and his mother's really... Oh, and it's the whole family, but she knew from early on there was something psychopathic about her son, but she loves her son, and she loved him. And Is she's this just, a true story or no? no? I don't know if it's a true story, but it was a pretty great movie. And then eventually, you know, he's a teenager, and then, you know, the end is shocking i don't want to give the end of the movie away but um the whole movie was like it wasn't the mother's fault that her son turned out the way he was Mm -hmm. and she was afraid of him but she loved him because it was her son Mm -hmm. pretty good movie yeah and someone told me that like that's nelson yeah you know, yeah. we, we all come with our own special uh, blend of <laughs> yeah. that makes us who we are. And um, I mean, then that's evolution for you. You know, like you plant five seeds from an apple tree, you get five different kinds of apple trees. And it's yeah. like in some in some, uh, I don't know, dystopian world, he would be the most <laughs> he might be the most prepared dog for survival. Awesome. Right. I had this dream, so stupid. I had this dream like a while ago or, you know, zombie dream. You know, I watch all those shows. So like the zombies were coming and he fell off this little plank he was walking across. I remember he fell and all I kept saying is just keep fighting. Because I knew he'd be okay. I was like, just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. Because I knew like he's not going to be phased by these zombies. Right. You know? In like a warrior scenario. Yeah. I was like, he knows what to do. In like a Mad Max scenario. Yeah. Nelson comes out on top and is. Like, I have friends who have said if the apocalypse comes, they want him on their team. <laughs> I said if I would tie him to a stick and be like, like just have his mouth just keep going. <laughs> right, he's you just, know, like, you know, he he doesn't. I would use him like <laughs> he would be the weapon to to save everybody. <laughs> the survival of the fittest has produced yeah. a lot of you know dogs who are cute and cuddly and happy to be on the couch and get walked three times a day and and kiss and cuddle yeah. and then, but it's also it also created Nelson. Listen, if he got loose, he would know where to go. He would go right to Bagel Boss. He would go there for food. He would go to Ace for his cookie. He knows exactly where. Well, you know, a lot are. of times, you know, dogs who just like, again, so much like people. Yeah. I think a lot of times people who are, you know, severely anxious or severely depressed or or have, you know, some kind of neuroses are yeah. also the smartest, most tuned in people. He knows how and, to get everywhere. You know, they, they say yeah. like people who are very depressed are actually better at predicting the future. Yeah. Yeah. Than the rest of us because they're so tuned into the way things are and you know he might just have like a hyper vigilance <laughs> he's a really smart dog he's he's super smart and i know that he knows what's going on he knows not to bite he just can't help it yeah and that's why he wants it. to kiss you afterwards like he's like he blacks out you know he blacks out for a minute and he shakes it off and he's like hey what's what's going yeah. on guys yeah. well i think a lesson <laughs> yeah. to be learned from the whole thing is like not like you said like not every problem can 
be solved but you know that doesn't mean you can't work with it and live with it it just might require like maintenance maintenance and like a major upheaval (laughs) of your life and a lot of commitment which frankly I don't think a lot of people would do but like you know you have both the the lifestyle temperament and will to to um perfect storm (laughs) (laughs) to uh provide for this you know amazing amazing dog Sylvia yes how do you call your mama boy come here little boy and if he doesn't answer oh lover boy and if he still doesn't answer i simply say say to him, Nelson, we got through another day. We made it. <laughs> we just do one day at a time. That's all That's all we can do. Good boy, Nelson. Oh, what a good boy. Good boy. Fun dog fact of the day. Uh, according to the website thepethistorian.com, which I recently discovered and have been enjoying, uh, up until around 1917, in Philadelphia, you could have a dog off-leash whenever you wanted, uh, as long as the dog was wearing a wire basket muzzle and a collar with the owner's name inscribed on a metal plate. Uh, so putting a dog in a muzzle was considered the ethical thing to do, and uh, leashing a dog wasn't required. School, school for the dogs. Thank you so much for listening, and special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storefortheDogs.com, and you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app, just visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.